pack your bags, turn up the tunes, and start your engines. We're going on a road trip. This is All Things Grinnell. I'm your host, Ben Benversi. On this week's show, we'll talk with Will Freeman, Grinnell College track and field coach and physical education professor, about his summer road trip. Then, we'll hear about Grinnell student Mithila Ayer's exploration of minority theater groups across the country. This week's show is coming up next, after a word from Grinnell College. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not represent the views of Grinnell College. More than any other country, the United States is known for the freedom of the open road. From John Steinbeck to Jack Kerouac, many American writers have used the open road as their muse. The interstate highway system fueled the cultural phenomenon of the road trip. However, on his recent trip across the country, Grinnell track and field coach and physical education professor Will Freeman avoided those well-trodden paths, instead sticking to mostly two-lane highways in pursuit of a more intimate journey. At the helm of a Morgan three-wheeler, Freeman rode through all 48 contiguous states in just under 80 days. I caught up with him at Saints Rest Coffee Shop in town and asked him when the idea for this incredible journey began. It ultimately came from a luncheon that I had uh, with Dr. Keisho Scott uh, in American Studies. We uh, met for lunch because my wife had given her a copy of my book, The Quest, and she had read it. and. Uh, was really taken by it and wanted to talk about it. So we, we had lunch and it was just one of those things where you, you know people just connect and, and just felt like we were on the same playing field. And, and by the end of the luncheon, we had determined we would teach a course together. Um, that ultimately, the next luncheon was a, ended up being an all-day meeting at Saints Rest Coffee Shop where we uh, planned the course. And it, that was in like January. We taught it that fall, last fall. Um, and it was called uh, The American Journey. And the idea was to read uh, famous authors who had had uh, their own special journeys and kind of uh, reflect on those and then think about our own journeys that we've had and road trips and that sort of thing. So um, the the culminating event of the course was that the students would plan this trip for me and they would determine the route. So they were given some priorities like in terms of criteria, um, mom and pop places for food, for lodging, two lane highways, uh, hit historical places and interesting places and oddities you know along the way uh, in obviously national parks and that sort of thing so historical places so um, they did it they put it together for me um, then it became the, the the basic premise of the trip was to uh, is that everyone's life journey matters and I wanted to meet everyday people along the way hear about their life journey and then write about it and that's what the upcoming book is about um, the, the way I wanted to do it was it, I wanted to not have to search them out, but have them come to me. And the, that was the reason for picking the Morgan three-wheeler. The, it, it's like a people magnet. And I mean, they every stop, every gas stop, every time I pulled in somewhere, they would come. And 
and that's how I met people and determined, okay, this person is really unique, and I, I need to hear more from them. And I'd set it up, could we have a cup of coffee? Or on occasion it was, could we have a dinner together or lunch together? And, and it just worked out incredibly well. I, I didn't expect it to do the vehicle to do what it ended up doing, which was to basically create the future book out of the trip. So you are no stranger to road trips. You've certainly taken a few before. Right. But putting this one in the hands of your students, basically, kind of, how did that, how did that feel, and were you kind of nervous about doing that? No, I wasn't nervous. I mean, I, I, um, the thing, thing about the, the students at Grinnell is you, you know what you're getting. You know, these are thoughtful, reflective people, and, and um, I knew that they would help in the process. It, the question was, would they get into it? Would they really engage in it like I was engaged in the process? And they did, and they did. So... Uh, yeah, I trusted them, and of course, I always had the flexibility on the trip to deviate from a route, and I had to a couple times due to weather and a delay and that sort of thing. So, my goal was to get it done within 80 days, and we made it by a day. So, yeah, you kind of talk about the the flexibility and part of it seems like the goal of this journey was the journey itself in many respects. Um, how did you navigate that? Well, I, you know, having read a lot of writers who did their own special road trips and then wrote about them, one of those writers was, was Robert Persick, who, who wrote Zen in the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. So he, my wife and I actually took his path three years ago and followed his route exactly all the way to California. And, you know, he, he once said that grass grows on the side of the mountain, not the top. So the point is that the, the trip itself is fertile ground. You know, it's, it's not about the end result, it's about what happens along the way, and it, that's absolutely the way it unfolded. And, and uh, I didn't overplan this. I, I, didn't, I had goals to try to hit a certain place by a certain time or day, but wasn't holding myself to that, because I knew that a variety of, of uh, variables could could change things and on occasion it did and and so I didn't want to overplan it I, I, I just wanted to take in what happened as I went and uh, I think once I made that decision the trip became something very special it we tend to overplan especially when we do road trips you know and and the fact is that it's best done by letting it unfold at its own pace and own uh, in its own way and um, yeah, oftentimes it seems like the best experiences on trips come from those unexpected things. You oh, know? absolutely, absolutely. Were there any any particular stories from people along the road that stuck with you? Oh my gosh, there's so many. Um, I we ran into uh, one of the nine remaining code talkers from World War II and. Um, listened to him speak for like an hour and a half and he he absolutely loved the vehicle he's 90 years old he he came out and looked at the vehicle and we took pictures and I mean so we met heroes you know we we I and and sort of along the same way I I met another veteran uh, who was a homeless man you know on the streets of Portland and sat with him for an hour and a half just talking about his life journey and um, it, it's remarkable. I mean it's sad in a way that 
so much of that goes on in this country and how do we allow that to happen, especially with our, you know, our vets. And so, I mean, it was really um, reflective stuff. You know, everyone I met, I would reflect on and then write on that evening for the potential, you know, the book that's coming. And um, I, w I would have two writing projects going on every night. One was the book and one was the blog. Sometimes I wouldn't get to the blog till midnight or 1 a.m. I remember one night I was up still writing at 2 a.m. because I knew that there were, that there were, um, oh my gosh, I can't remember how many thousand of regular readers of the blog. And they were expecting a blog entry every night late, and I just didn't want to disappoint. And there were two nights when I just was too tired. I couldn't couldn't do it and I had to you know the next morning get up early and write it and then I'm already getting emails like what happened are you okay and you know it was pretty neat to have so many people following the trip and and I really felt um, like I had a lot of support along the way. Can you talk a little bit more about the criteria that you, you mentioned national parks unique places but also specifically mom and pop shops uh, did you stick to the two-lane highway rule as well? We, I would say we were 95% two-lane. There, there's occasions where you can't avoid it. Like when you're around Boston, you have no choice. I mean, you're, you know, you, to, to get somewhere as quickly as possible, you've got to get on four lanes, you know. And um, a lot of state highways that were four lanes, they're not interstates, but you just couldn't avoid it. And, uh, but for the most part, you know, the really interesting stuff's happening on the two-lane highways. And I really, really enjoyed that and would highly recommend that to people to get off the interstate. The problem is that, you know, it's, maybe it's not a problem, but the goal of people is to get somewhere as quickly as possible. And what I would say is that take your time and enjoy the ride. Enjoy, you know, getting from A to B, not so much we got to do this quickly and get to point B so that we can enjoy point B. The real cool stuff's happening along the way. It's, it's certainly a unique perspective that you get from uh, riding behind the windshield of a Morgan three-wheeler, I guess. Originally, the, you know, I've done, done these trips before on a motorcycle and written about it in the Quest. And, and I, I really wanted to do something different. Um, I, there's a lot of motorcycles on the road. So they're not necessarily going to draw people in. The three-wheeler is so unique. Like, there's two in Iowa, to give you an idea. So, and everyone, it's a smile machine. I mean, without fail, everybody that came up to it was smiling and going, what is that? You know, what are you doing? And then they would look at the logos and the, you know, all the decals on it from the sponsors and what I was doing. And, and I'd tell the story. I, I told that story so many times. My, my guess was that every, I would stop on an average five times per day for either just get out of the vehicle and stretch or get gas or get a drink or, and um, every single time people would come up and I'd have to tell the story again. You know, what, what am I doing? What is this vehicle about? So that was probably an, up to an hour a day times 79 days. That's how long I was telling this story, and I never got tired of it because they're standing there smiling the whole time, just mesmerized by what I was doing. And so I really enjoyed sharing that with people, and that's what opened the door to some folks that felt compelled to tell me more. And then 
I would end up writing about them. So you left on commencement day. Um, where did you head first? I went south. I, the idea was to go through Columbia, Missouri and meet up with uh, William Leastheat Moon who wrote Blue Highways. And I had gone down to visit with him prior to the trip. I wanted to get his perspective on the trip and had a wonderful afternoon with him. And he invited me down, said, you know, you come on down, spend the day, I'll buy the drinks. And so we ended up going to a, a kind of a hamburger bar and <clears throat> we never did have a drink. We, we ended up like just downing Coke after Coke after Coke as we talked. And I mean, mesmerizing guy and a truly great writer, travel writer. And so I wanted to go to honor him because his name was one of several that were on the vehicle to, out of respect, you know, for Steinbeck and Least Heat Moon and Persig and, and Lindbergh, you know, who wrote The Spirit of St. Louis, which was a driving force in this thing. And um, anyway, he, he emailed me right before I started the trip and he was having surgery that day. So I ended up not getting to see him, which, which was fine. I mean, I didn't alter the route. I still went through Columbia, and that was an overnight, the very first overnight. Um, and then uh, just followed the route as the students had planned. Were there any challenges along the way? You mentioned weather, but other than that, um, the Morgan held up. Any other problems? I had one issue in California and San Francisco. I was in the Presidio. And, and um, the motor just quit <clears throat> while I was driving in the Presidio. And <clears throat> unfortunately, it was on a, a steep hill, uphill, traffic all around me. And so somehow I got out of that mess and got it into a parking lot. And, and uh, uh, fortunately, the, the Mr. Morgan, the guy in the United States who's known to be the guy with Morgans, uh, lives in Bodega Bay right up the road. So uh, they came down and got the vehicle took it up there, fixed it. It, it, was, it was actually a, wasn't the fuel pump like we thought. It was a fuel line issue where the line was too close to the cylinder head and was getting too hot and causing all kinds of issues with the fuel delivery. So once they insulated that and taped up that line, we had no other issues. I never had a single problem after that the whole trip. Reflecting on the journey, what are the big takeaways for you personally and then also in terms of, of writing your book, like the, the stories that you saw across America as well? You know, America's a big country and there's a lot of cool people out there, a lot of neat people. And I, my goal was to meet not the famous people, but just everyday people and, and let them know that, hey, your journey matters. You know, what you've gone through matters. Tell me about your parents and their parents and how did you end up here, you know, in this state, in this city, in this little town? And, and so that, that's important. I think that's the takeaway is that every single life journey matters and, and is a story worth telling. Um, that, was, that was one. The, the other thing is that very, very rarely did anything political come into a conversation, even given everything we're going through right now. And... And I kind of like that. I didn't, I, I, I'm trying to escape from all that like everybody else, you know. And, and uh, so that was kind of fun, just to leave that out of the mix and not have to address that. Only when it was brought up a couple times did I, did I have to respond. Um, other than that, it, you know, a lot of cool, cool surprises out there. A lot of interesting places I never would have thought were there, you know. And, 
and many of those were I just came up on. I, I didn't see them coming. I didn't plan to go. A um, lot of remarkably beautiful places where I just pull off the road. I had to pull off and just stop and reflect on what I was looking at, you know. And um, it's a beautiful place, America. And every every state has its own personality. And sometimes I would cross a river going from one state to the next, and it was almost like a median. You could feel the difference. You could see it in the topography. And that was remarkable to me, how every state, sometimes they, they all have their own personalities, sometimes multiple personalities, like Eastern Oregon and Western Oregon, totally different states, you know, and yet one state. So that was neat, just sort of getting the feel for, and you could sense that in the people too. Um, and and uh, the accents. I mean, I in Virginia, I was on the, the parkway, Blue Ridge Parkway, and I pulled off just because of this beautiful view up there. And a lady pulled in behind me in a pickup truck with her 15-year-old granddaughter. And they, they had been following me and they just loved the looks of this thing. They wanted to talk about it and what are you doing? And I could barely understand them. I mean, the, the accent was so rich and so strong. And I just thought, how cool is this? You know, everywhere I go, there's a different personality. There's a different, the way people talk. Um, and I'm sure the way people think, you know, is different. And that really brought it home to me, though, that, man, this is a big place. And there's, there's a lot of unique people out there. And all of them worth writing about. It sounds like it was a great journey, and uh, thanks for taking the time to talk with me about it, and I'm looking forward to reading the new book as well. Thank you so much. Will Freeman is a track and field coach and physical education professor at Grinnell College. His trip across the country in a Morgan three-wheeler will be the inspiration for his next book. Links to Freeman's blog, his previous work, and pictures from his incredible journey are available on the website, grinnell.edu podcast. This seems like as good a time as any to make a plug for a wonderful little website you may not know about. It's called the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. You know how many languages have these amazing words to describe complex emotions and thoughts? Take schadenfreude, for instance, which is a German word which means the pleasure derived from someone else's misfortune. The English language lacks these kind of words. Is it because our feelings are so particularly nuanced and complex that they can't be captured in a single word? I don't think so. But for whatever reason, we don't have a lot of these words. But John Koenig is working to change that by inventing the words for these complex emotions. My favorite word? Sonder. The realization that each random passerby is living a life just as vivid and complex as your own. Kind of like Will's journey. Everyone has a story. Check out the website at obscuresorrows.com and maybe come up with a few new words of your own. Continuing with today's theme of travel, fourth-year student Mithila Ayer of India took a journey of her own recently. As the recipient of the Fischlowitz Fellowship, she set out to explore the rise of minority theater movements across the U.S., in California, Texas, D.C., and New York, interacting with directors and cast members from the productions. I asked her where the idea for this trip came from. So I first heard about this fellowship because a friend of mine won it, someone I knew kind of peripherally, and I thought that was for a topic that was really interesting, which is 
music culture around the home of this person's personal heroes. And at that time, that semester was the first semester that I'd really started getting into theater, which is what my fellowship's based on and is what I'm really passionate about. So I had actually applied for this fellowship twice. The first time was basically just studying structures, studying historical buildings and how those impacted cities and theater communities around them. But obviously I didn't get it that time. And I think as the year went on, as I realized more the multitude of things that I was interested in, that contributed to my desire to study minority theater culture. So your your theater experience kind of started at Grinnell, is yeah, that fair to say? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. And you've been involved in some student productions in the past. Mm-hmm. Why why did theater become uh, a passion for you? So I think theater initially became a passion for me at Grinnell was because this was the first place that I had the opportunity to go after something that I was at least like a little bit interested in while I enjoyed consuming um entertainment like media movies whatever i think grinnell was really the first place where i actually had the chance or the self-awareness to pursue something that was a little bit out of my comfort zone like i auditioned for all three main stage productions my first semester didn't get a call back for any (laughs) then i auditioned for sophia nair's play in the spring which was a student-directed production, and I somehow got lucky and got into that. And I think it started from there. And then the next fall, I like did more theater. And yeah, I think that's really how it started, because I knew that this was something that I wanted to keep doing, no matter how difficult it was initially. And this semester, I'm in my first main stage production. That's awesome. Yeah, it sounds like an incredible journey just from, you know, not getting any callbacks from your first audition <laughs> and not having any experience with it beforehand to now, you know, being in that main stage production and doing this this travel fellowship as well. So it sounds like you've incorporated into your life pretty well. Did you have any previous experience traveling in the United States outside of uh from Des Moines to Grinnell and back? (laughs) So initially, well, I do have family in California, so I have visited them a couple of times, but that's very interesting and very insular in in the sense that when you go visit your family someplace, you're mostly just generally staying with them and not really experiencing the place as you would otherwise. Um, I went to Williamstown one time, my cousin graduated from Williams, woohoo. But (laughs) um, nothing independently and nothing outside of Chicago to Grinnell or Des Moines to Grinnell travels. So this was a a big personal step for you then, like taking this fellowship and going to these places on your own? I think it was definitely a big personal step because it also gave me a lot of agency in the sense that I chose where to go for how long to stay, who to stay with, and exactly what to do there. In that sense, it really was the first kind of independent, purposeful travel that I undertook because previously... I was either traveling to come to college or to see family or to see a friend. So in that way, kind of like charting my own direction was the first time that I'd done something like that. So academically, how did your interests in theater and human rights kind of come together with the vision for this project? Ooh, that's a good question. So I took intro acting the first, the spring of my first year, which is probably why I got a call back. <laughs> but... Um, I think that also had a lot to do with more time I spent taking different classes here at Grinnell. Like, for example, I took an economic development class the fall of my second year, which I really enjoyed. 
and realized that human rights was something that I was interested in working in and development as well. And naturally with that realization came the fact that this broad umbrella isn't just, is uh, comprised of so many more tinier things that contribute to um, just like fundamental rights that people have, whether it's something, whether it's concerning migration or seeking asylum or whether it's something as different or diverse as artistic expression. So I spent the whole year taking classes that were at least tangentially related to what I was interested in, which is basically development and human rights. And I think that the fact that these two came together has to do with two things. The first is I didn't get it the first time and I was really racking my brain to think about what I could do to make the most of this possible opportunity. And the second was the fact that even at Grinnell, I'm an economics and French major. So those are two disciplines that are kind of not exactly, not what you would consider a person to do at the same time, even though they are in a weird way complementary. And I've always tried to look for ways to combine my passions or to be able to do both at the same time. And I think that's how the idea of um, minority theater culture came about because it was something as simple as thinking about representation, South Asians in mainstream American media, influential ones. If the more I saw myself or people who looked like me or people whose experiences were at least a little bit similar to my own, the more I wanted to think about how these communities came to the place where they felt like they could or they felt it was important for them to have a voice artistically. So I wanted to travel to five cities and that wasn't because I'd picked out five cities specifically, but that came about because of the different minorities that I arbitrarily chose to study. Um, I went to San, I'm going to go to San Francisco and I previously have been to Los Angeles, New York, DC and Fort Worth. And in each place I would go to either one or two plays, um, hang out there a little bit beforehand, interact with people in the show or people who were connected to the show at all. I've had email exchanges with directors and with people who run specific theaters in specific places speaking to me more generally about their mission and how that particular show or event connects to what they're looking to do as part of a larger purpose. What did you expect to really find in these different theater productions that you were looking at? Was there any was there a specific research question that you wanted to investigate or were you just looking at it holistically at how they represented minorities in their productions? I think I was looking at it more holistically, and I think my research question wasn't really a question. It was more, uh, I guess I just wanted to see why these companies produced what they did, why they, why they felt the need to create art, to create performances that spoke to these particular themes, particular experiences exclusively. So that was something I was pretty interested in. What I did not expect to find was the fact that several performances or several plays had themes that were pretty universally relatable, whether it was about a teenager being pressured to like choose between different kinds of colleges and feeling guilty about leaving home, or whether it was about um, moving to a different state for another job. But I guess kind of seeing that in conjunction with the larger themes of what the 
theater and what the play was trying to represent was really interesting. Is that theme something that you can relate to, having to choose a college and, and, <laughs> and being away from home? Yeah, for sure. It was definitely very, very interesting to see the different kinds of things that I could relate to because there was one about um, the college thing. There was several more about feeling guilty, quote-unquote, about leaving the place that you were from to go to another place to resettle or whatever. And I guess, like, as an international student, I didn't, I guess I didn't relate to that so much as really understand why people would think that was an that was an important thing to speak about. Because as a senior, that's also something I'm thinking about, like, where am I going to end up next? But it was interesting to see that these kind of themes are basically universal and don't just relate about a particular person staying in a particular country or, yeah. What did you learn about yourself in throughout the process of applying for this fellowship and then going to these places and thinking about you know how did you maybe grow or how were you challenged as a person or as a student i think independence is the biggest thing like most important factor that i've realized is important on this trip i've also learned that how important it is to be self-reliant. Like, for example, whether it came to budgeting, ticketing, planning, dealing with missed flights or dealing with accommodations or things like that. But also something as simple as going out to eat alone at a really famous restaurant, which might seem fine when you're sitting down for a meal in D Hall, but when you're in Fort Worth trying to decide between like tacos, that was, it was interesting. It taught me a lot about myself. It really taught me that I can take on whatever I choose to take on and sometimes more than I thought was possible. That's a good takeaway from the trip. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what were the most rewarding aspects of it for you outside of um, like the independence that you gained? What about just interacting with uh, the people involved in these productions? Well, I think something that everyone really appreciated or that I was fortunate to find nearly every theater I went to was the number of people who were willing to just talk to me about why they were at the production and why they were involved in the production. And this wasn't just limited to theater admin staff, but to this play I went to in Washington, it was at a a Hispanic theater. And the number of people in the audience who spoke to me and asked me about why I was there really kind of showed that it's important to bring these specialized stories, these kind of experiences that people have undergone to a mo- to a wider scale in the sense that just more people knowing, talking about them was something that I think most people really appreciated because obviously, like, I'm not Hispanic or I'm not any of these other communities whose theaters and whose tales I went to, like, listen to. But the fact that I was there, I was appreciated. I was made to feel welcome. I thought that was really nice and heartwarming. So you are now in your fourth year at Grinnell, and you're not quite done with the the travel aspect of this fellowship. You're still going to finish up and travel to San Francisco in November. Mm -hmm. But right now you have your sights set on a different international travel (laughs) fellowship, which is taking up a lot of your time, um, the Watson Fellowship, which a lot of students here at Grinnell find themselves applying for. That doesn't diminish your chances at all. It's not, as they say, <laughs> it's not about the other applicants. It's about you. It's a, it's a project that's really about fit. Um, so tell me about your Watson. So um, the Watson, which is deadline, is in like three days, so I'm a little nervous, is something that I started thinking about, I think, once I 
I think once I got the Fishlewitz Fellowship, when I was coming back from Los Angeles, which was the first place I went to, I want to study migration with the Watson, both forced and voluntary. And this comes from a number of places. This comes from the academic experiences I've had of studying migration, whether it's in my econometrics classes or whether it's to do with studying French colonial literature from the uh, from the French diaspora, um, or whether it's to do with my family's own personal experiences moving from Pakistan to India during the time of partition. But it's mostly because I am a fourth year who has grown to think of Iowa as home, coming from a large, really bustling city, and it's just me trying to come to terms with that as well. So my project will be called Is Home Where the Heart Is? And it will be exploring um, migrant communities around the world. I'll be going to Mexico to, uh, I will hopefully be going to Mexico. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. To work with deported dreamers and people who have been made to move back to a society that other administrators or other people believe is theirs, even though they don't necessarily identify with or want to integrate back into that. I will be uh, going to Kenya, um, more specifically Kakuma in northeast Kenya, which is one of the oldest refugee camps in the world and has displaced people from Ethiopia, Somalia, South Sudan, and northern Kenya itself. Um, I will also be going to the United Kingdom, England, England and Birmingham specifically to um, explore the stories of the South Asian diaspora, which is the largest ethnic minority in the in the United Kingdom currently, which I think is really interesting because you have all this talk of, oh, chicken tikka masala is the UK's national dish, but then you also have Sikhs and Muslims who migrated there, a lot from India, but then of course from other countries in the diaspora, from Pakistan specifically as well, um, who migrated there not out of an immediate immediate conflict or immediate need to move, but looking for upward job mobility. Then I will go to Kosovo, where I want to work with ethnic Albanians who were driven out during the conflict in the late 90s, and the majority of whom have returned back, which is incidentally the reason I want to go there in the first place. What does it feel to come back to a society that shunned you in the first place? How have you reintegrated? Do you, do you think you've reintegrated? Do you think this is home? Or do you think another home is more what your experiences have been in line with. And then lastly, I want to go to Greece, more specifically Lesbos, which is an island in the agency closer to Turkey, because it hosts a number of refugees from a number of conflict-ridden places, including Syria, the Mediterranean, um, North Africa, Balochistan, and Pakistan, and Afghanistan. So that is what I'm going to hopefully do over the course of my Watson year. And I'm incredibly excited, although a little stressed at the moment. That makes sense. And that sounds like an incredible project. So um, I hope in a few months I can talk to you again about (laughs) uh, your upcoming Watson Fellowship. But uh, for the moment, we'll we'll just keep our fingers crossed. Um, And it sounds like this Fischlowitz Fellowship has not only kind of provided you with some key tools in terms of independence and ability to travel and self-reliance, but also kind of sparked a desire in you to think about the possibility that you might do something like a Watson Fellowship. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk yeah, with me today, Mithila. I appreciate it, and uh, best of luck. Thank you very much. Mithila Ayer is a fourth-year student at Grinnell, where she studies economics and French. Her travels were made possible by the Fischlowitz Travel Fellowship, sponsored by Teresa and Merle Fischlowitz, class of 1953. 
The fellowship is awarded annually to one Grinnell International student to pursue casual yet purposeful independent travel in the United States, focused on deep exploration of a chosen theme. To see photos of Mithila's trip, check out our website, grinnell.edu podcast. And with that, we'll wrap up this week's episode, the very first in what will be a long series of exciting interviews and stories about Grinnell's past, present, and future. Music for today's show comes from Brett Newski, whose new album, Life Upside Down, is available now. This song, Ride, is from the new album, and I'll let him take us out with that. If you'd like to contact the show, email us at podcast at grinnell.edu. Find us on Twitter with hashtag allthingsgrinnell, or check out our website, grinnell.edu slash podcast, for more information about the guests from today's show. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen. On the next show, we'll talk with Noga Ashkenazi, class of 2009, who directed the movie Saints Rest, which is filmed and takes place here in Grinnell, and is receiving rave reviews at film festivals all over the country, and rightfully so. We'll also talk with the current and previous owners of Saints Rest, Sam Cox and Jeff Phelps, about the coffeehouse that has become a home for so many Grinnellians over the years. All that, next week, on All Things Grinnell. I'm your host, Ben Benversi. Stay weird, Grinnellians. One last note. If you want to hear more songs about the open road, check out my curated playlist on the website. Before I'm a headcase and get stuck in this town.